This AfriCast is sponsored by EverKey. Get back out into the world with the Versa 2 and Onyx notebook backpacks from EverKey. Sporting a limited lifetime warranty, you can rest assured that your technology is safely tucked within high-quality materials that have been expertly crafted. EverKey works hard to make sure that the best product arrives on your doorstep. To find out more, search EverKey on rootware.co.za. and welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. My name is Brendan Lotz and joining me as always is Clinton Matos. Hello again everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. Uh, it's a freezing cold day here in Johannesburg on Thursday when we're recording this. Um, so hopefully you're staying warm. A uh, huge thank you to Everkey for uh, sponsoring this AfriCast. You can find more information about what they're offering uh, in the links below. But let's get into the AfriCast this week, starting with some news about UCT Online High School, Robin. Yes, so um, we have covered them before. Um, UCT launched their online high school at the beginning of this uh, academic year, and it seems like things are going well. Um, at the time of recording, they have estimated 5,000 learners uh, that have kind of in logging online and getting access to the education offering. And now it looks like uh, the UCD Online High School is looking to kind of add to its uh, breadth of qualifications. And specifically, it's going to be adding the Cambridge Assessment International Education uh, qualifications to its mix. So those will start up at the beginning of the next academic year, so 2023. But they're already kind of, I guess, announcing its availability uh, in order to kind of, I guess, I guess, drive up some interest, and they're saying that the international qualification will cost an estimated three thousand three hundred rand per month. Uh, UCT says this makes it one of the most affordable options you can get at the moment, um, and that's really been the kind of messaging they've had for the offerings since it started. That it's a very cost-effective and affordable alternative to, I guess, a traditional high school education, and yeah, it looks like it's uh, it's beginning to pick up momentum. Um, if anyone unfamiliar with the Cambridge International Qualifications, it essentially allows you to study at a network of international universities. Um, they say that there are currently 2,000 different uh, tertiary institutions worldwide that I guess are part of this network. And it includes a lot of the, I guess, the, the, the uh, I guess, uh, prestigious universities across the world, if uh, that's where you're interested in kind of studying. I can, I'm, guess I'm speaking a bit more anecdotally, but I remember in my matric year, uh, the guys in my school were just happy to pass. <laughs> they weren't really thinking about um, studying overseas. But yeah, it looks like a good opportunity for those that do have, I guess, the eyes set on studying abroad after they finish high school. Um, they're saying that uh, roughly 10,000 schools in 160 different countries across the world are part of this, I guess, network. And now UCT Online High School is one of them. So if you are interested, um, the story wrote about this as offer uh, a portal for you to find out more information. You can download, I guess, information pack, kind of see what is available. Um, the current breakdown is that it's broken up uh, into upper and uh, lower secondary courses. Uh, the lower section is for those aged 12 to 14. Um, the upper secondary is for those 15, 16, and I uh, forgot to mention there's a third one, which is the AS or A-levels. That's essentially for you to, su to study specifically in the UK and the US, and that's for 
ages 17 to 18. So if that is something that you perhaps are considering for your child or for some reason, if you are a kid listening to our own podcast, uh, that's something you're interested in as well. Uh, we have all the links to kind of get more information on this offering from UCT. Quick question. I did read your story. Um, I don't know if this was mentioned or maybe I'm just clueless. Uh, does UCT itself accept that qualification for people to study at the university? Because uh, if some, if everyone listening didn't realize, UCT is the University of uh, Cape Town. It's uh, it's a university. So that this whole situation is a bit weird because they're now doing a high school. But did they say in their press release or to you or do you know offhand if they accept that qualification? Uh, they didn't mention in their press release or in the, the kind of a video announcement. Um, but I would assume they would be considering uh, the, the network of schools is like 10,000 strong. Or rather the network of institutions is 2,000 strong. UCT considers itself one of the leading institutions, uh, tertiary institutions globally. So I, I would assume so. But uh, I, I don't want to speak off off record yeah we should it, it would be very weird if they did it just seems like one of those things where you assume but then you don't want to you don't want to yeah. assume too best, much best to check that out before yeah. uh, you spend your your life studying and also that uh that is a lot of money but also man have you looked at the price of schools especially private schools it is insane i i don't have any kids but i have uh, a nephew who's uh 12 and a niece who's uh, going on to nine. And I am shocked by the amount of money that you need to pay for private schools. It's, I think uh, it's, a, it's a great contraceptive. It's, I, I don't know how they justify it. And also they always ask for donations from the parents, which is just, it's the funniest thing in the world. I don't know how they could ever need donations with the amount of money they charge. Anyway, that's a discussion for another day. I just wanted to bring up the qualification thing. And the fact that, um, like Robin said, that is, it's a lot of money, but comparatively, it's not a lot of money. So it's worth considering, I think. Yeah. Right. Moving on to making money. Uh, this week, Uber Eats and Motion, Motion Ads announced an initiative in which Uber Eats drivers can have their top boxes on their bikes covered in advertising. Um, according to a press release sent by us by Uber Eats, this can increase a driver's net earnings by 10%. Um, according to Elon Band, the co-founder of Motion Ads, uh, their research showed that one bike gets an average of 300,000 eyeballs slash impressions per month, um, which further says to me that that 10% increase on earnings is a bit low. Um, and so I wanted to find out from Uber uh, why this was so low. Um, and essentially, they don't really, they don't take a cut uh, from this. So uh, we spoke to Charles Mahango, the head of operations for Sub-Saharan Africa for Uber Eats. And he said, Uber does not take any portion of the earnings that the delivery people make from the advertising, given it's their own business assets. The earnings they receive are calculated based on various factors as per the contractual agreements and the duration and type of the campaign. Um, now, something that struck me as odd is, once again, that 10% increase on net earnings. Um, given that the driver is driving around, uh, like I feel like they should be getting a much larger percentage of whatever this cut is. Um, so I asked Uber, what's preventing drivers from uh, just reaching out to businesses on their own and selling their top boxes advertising space? And Charles said, delivery people are independent contractors and there's nothing prohibiting them from doing so. 
So this is my clarion call to Uber Eats drivers, if any listen, or if you are friends with an Uber Eats driver or know somebody who does Uber Eats, uh, approach the SMEs in the area that you work or even the restaurants that are there and speak to them about advertising on your top box. Uh, you cut out the middleman completely in terms of what in terms of motion ads or any advertising company for that matter, uh, and you get to earn all the profits from your advertising. Um, something that I am curious about is how this will affect Uber vehicles, so the actual um, uh, uh, taxi taxi service that they operate. Um, so I went and checked Uber's community guidelines, and there's nothing there that says uh, uh, that vehicles may not have advertising on them. Uh, all it says is that vehicles must be maintained and in good operating condition. Um, so I don't know whether we'll start to see Uber vehicles caked in advertising, um, but if you are an Uber driver, it might be best to uh, err on the side of caution and speak to the firm through one of its green light hubs here in South Africa and see if that's something that might get you into trouble. If it's not, have at it. Uh, mm. We know that Uber drivers in South Africa notoriously have a, a bad time when it comes to uh, making ends meet, and this is a great way to augment your earnings. Um, so if you're an Uber Eats delivery driver, uh, sell your top box as advertising space. Yeah, but don't sell the actual top box. You need that to put yeah, stuff you, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sell the advertising. Hell, <laughs> sell your whole bike as advertising if you can. I mean, yeah. what's stopping you? Uber clearly has no issue because, as they said, you're an independent contra contractor, right? Just do what the F1 companies do with their cars. Just now we're going to have delivery drivers in those, like, uh, a fire suit that has advertising all over it. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm keen. As long as the delivery driver is making more money. Like, yeah, this is the thing, is I think that this is a great way for Uber Eats drivers to augment their salary or their earnings and and make a bit extra as well, right? Because we've we've seen that Uber Uber drivers get um, targeted by syndicates who rent them a vehicle for exorbitant prices, um, and that means that these drivers have to work overtime just to cover the cost of the rental of that vehicle. So I'm really keen to see this initiative uh, or to see more drivers taking advantage of the fact that they are using their own vehicle. And as long as it's safe and uh, it's presentable, I mean, why can't you sell advertising on yeah. it? It's just stickers. Exactly. And as a as a rider, I don't really care what's on the outside of my vehicle as long as the seatbelt works and the air conditioning is going. Yeah. I, I'm a bit surprised it's taken this long to become a thing because there's been – I can't remember the name of the company, but in South Africa, there's one or two big companies that do this for regular cars. Oh, that um, that, that that shut down many years ago, Clinton. That was a, that was a, that was a scam. <laughs> I, no, no, no. I could have sworn I heard a, a radio ad very – anyway, what I'm saying is it's like an established business model, and I'm just surprised that uh, it hasn't caught on. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about the buy a new car, and then you can – you have advertising on it, and as long as you reach a certain amount of Ks, you get paid? Um, I can't. I, I think it was just a company that you just contact them, and they'll put stickers on oh, your okay. car, and you get paid money every yeah. month for driving so, your car. So that's, that's not a I, That's To clarify, that's not a scam. The buy a new car and cake it in advertising and drive around, that's just uh, that was a ludicrous scam. Um, okay, I'll use, uh, where, uh, yeah, the, the amount of kilometers that you would have to drive every day 
would would bankrupt you before the car payments did. So okay, yeah, that one I've never heard of. That I was speaking yeah. about something else. That was many years ago, like the early 2010s. Anyway, um, but yeah, if you're an Uber Eats driver, check out. I mean, not check out. Try and sell your top boxes advertising space, Clinton. You've got some news about Pokemon from us. Yes, that, that more stuff. More stuff that only I care about. So Pokemon had a Pokemon Presents, which is basically it. They they sometimes call it a live stream, but it's pre-recorded. Anyway, what it is, it's just basically like a Nintendo Direct. It's just a big video. It's it's a big advertiser. You know, we're talking about ads. This is just a, a twenty-minute advert. Um. First of all, people were a bit shocked that it was so short. It was only 20 minutes. I think these things are usually expected to be like a minimum of half an hour to like 45 minutes. So that was a bit odd. Um, also odd, but very welcome, is the fact that Pokemon mentioned their World Championships, which is actually happening this month. Um, I've, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I'll just go over it quick. Basically, for the Pokemon trading card game and the, um, they call it VGC, Video Game Championship, it's just the... The actual game, like Sword and Shield, is the most recent uh, mainline game. And there is a worldwide network of events you can go to. And if you do well in those events, you get points. And if you get enough points, you qualify for the World Championships. Now, they have been on hold for three years uh, because of the pandemic. But they are finally happening this month in the UK. Um, They are usually in America and sometimes in Canada. But the reason it's in the UK, um, first time it's in the UK, is because Sword and Shield, like I mentioned, is actually based on the UK, in the Galar region. Uh, so they started the presentation off on that. They just told people, hey, we're going um, we're gonna to have the World Championships. We're expecting it to be one of the biggest ones ever, just because there's kind of a Pokemon renaissance going on. And also because um, during those three years, there wasn't play allowed to earn points. But uh, there were certain special online events where people could earn points. So they are expecting there to be more competitors than usual in other years. So that's very exciting. I also just want to mention, um, we have a South African going to play the card game. Um, we may have him on for an interview or something in the future. But um, when he gets back, hopefully we say that he, he came, you know, it would, be all, it would be amazing if a South African won, but hopefully he'll just, you know, do well and then we can bring him on and talk about the experience. And then the thing that everyone was excited about was more news about Scarlet and Violet, the new games. and Bread Pokemon! They, yes, there's a Bread Pokemon. You see, Brendan actually watched it, oh my god, or just popped up on Twitter because you popped cannot up on escape. Twitter. Popped up on yeah. Twitter. I think the people... Uh, Game Freak, the developers, I think they were hungry when they were making these games because <laughs> there's the bread Pokemon. There's a Pokemon called Smolive, Small Olive, which is a living olive. There's a Pokemon named Lechonk, which is just a pig. And in certain Asian cultures, the term Lechonk refers to a roast pig. Um, and yeah, I think they were hungry when they were making this game. But uh, that aside, there is, oh my God, the Pokemon turn into Swarovski glass. I don't know how else to talk about this. Basically, with the new games in the last like 10 years, there have been, the, the fans call them gimmicks. I don't know what the original name is. But uh, in the Sun and Moon games, you had Mega Evolution. In Sword and Shield, you had Dynamaxing. And now we have Terrastole Phenomenon. But I'm not going to call it that. It's, it's such a tongue twister. Your Pokemon become like shiny glass and they get a crown. They get a big hat. <laughs> I, they, really, they get a big hat. That's not me saying, oh, they, they add something to the head. No, they call it a hat. They call it a crown. It's ridiculous. I'm, I'm flabbergasted because these gimmicks are almost universally hated 
in the community. And every time a new gimmick comes out, people say, we hate this. And every time a new gimmick replaces the old gimmick, they say, we hate this too. So I really thought Game Freak was like, okay, we listen to you guys. We're not going to have a gimmick. And then they, they have a gimmick. And the, the thing about this and all the other gimmicks is that in terms of gameplay, they're exactly the same. They're a limited time buff to your Pokemon. And then at the end of the, ba- the battle or the number of turns, that buff is gone. Dynamaxing and Mega Evolution worked exactly the same. Uh, there was another gimmick called Z Moves, which also worked in the same way. It's just, it's dumb. And it, it really feels at this point like Game Freak is just, in terms of game design, they're just mentally bankrupt. They cannot come up with a new idea. They just take the gimmicks and they're like, what new skin, what new paint can we put on this? So, you know, I started off very happy talking about the World Championships and I'm very down talking about this. It's just... I really like Pokemon, if you couldn't tell, but it feels like they've been in this hole that they just cannot escape. Ever since they moved from uh, sprites in the 3DS era to full 3D, they've just, it seems like they've been circling the drain. And the thing about that is, uh, I just sound like a complete hater because um, every game that comes out makes infinite amounts of money. And Sword and Shield, which most people think is one of the worst games they've ever put out, made the most amount of money out of any of the games so far. So what do I know? Uh, I'm just mad because I'm a big nerd and people might like this. But like Brendan said, you know, he's not even a fan. He saw cute uh, bread Pokemon. So as long as they keep making cute Pokemon and they keep pumping these games out, people will buy them. Um, I'm more excited by the World Championships. If anything big happens, they usually announce some stuff at the World Championships too. If anything happens, I'll bring you guys news of that. And also hopefully um, when our South African competitor Jonah gets back from that event next month, we'll have him on and we'll talk about that. So yeah, that's the new Pokemon Presents. In this podcast, I'm the only one who cares about it, but uh, it's one of the biggest, it is the biggest media franchise in the world. So I always think it's worth it to talk about it a little bit. Fantastic. I just want a bread Pokemon. More Pokemon that we can eat, please. There's actually an ice cream Pokemon. I don't know if you've seen that one. I think I have. There's also um, the guys from Mythical Kitchen, uh, Josh Schreier, I think his name is. Uh, yeah. He has a series on, on TikTok about which Pokemon he'd eat and how he'd eat it. It's, it's really well, fun. Well, yeah, it's really weird because at some points in the, um, in the cartoon, in the anime, they eat just like regular beef. So where did that come from? It's, it's very weird. Upgrade your notebook backpack with the Everkey Versa 2. The Versa 2 is designed to protect your electronics from bumps and spills. Featuring a ballistic nylon construction and hard shell sunglasses case, the Versa 2 is a backpack designed to meet the needs of the high-tech traveler. Featuring a segmented design with a bright orange lining, the Everkey Versa 2 makes traveling safer and simpler. To find out more, search Everkey on wootwear.co.za. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, This week, Logitech and Tencent Games announced that they would be creating a cloud gaming handheld. Um, Now, if that confuses you, welcome to the club, uh, because a cloud gaming handheld device, uh, to me, is a smartphone. Uh, Given that cloud gaming doesn't require that you have uh, dedicated hardware to render the game, um, because all of that is being handled on a server somewhere in the cloud, this was a really odd announcement to me because it's not that they're making a smartphone. Otherwise, they would say, we're making a smartphone. Instead, they announced the Logitech G Gaming Handheld, which is what it's tentatively named. 
Um, and yeah, essentially it's it's a device on which you can do cloud gaming. Um, like I said, it's a smartphone. Um, I think it's a really silly thing to be making, except when I started to do a bit more research, maybe it's not that silly. So according to uh, Fortune Business Insights, uh, the cloud gaming market size is expected to grow 43.6% between 2022 and 2029. Uh, that doesn't sound that big. However, that's an increase from a market valuation of one point, or, sorry, a market size of 1.2 or 1.72 billion US dollars to 40.81 billion US dollars. Um, which is huge. That is a that is a massive growth. Uh, they believe that the key drivers of this will be five G technologies, low latency capability. Um, but what might hinder the growth of cloud gaming is latency and responses responsiveness issues. Um, so I wanted to discuss this because one of the things that I've been that I've been seeing over the years. Uh, as regards gaming is that the hardware that we use to run these games is just becoming more and more expensive. Um, putting aside the entry-level consoles for just one second, um, the Xbox Series X and uh, PlayStation 5 with the disc uh, retail for well over 10,000 Rand, which is not something that I think everybody has just lying around. Uh, I know that when before these these consoles launched, people had made plans and saved up their money. Um, and while the entry level uh, consoles do kind of do a good job of letting people get into the space in a more affordable manner, um, I, I kind of cringe at the fact that I'm saying eight thousand rand is an affordable way to get into gaming. Yeah, um, because it, it it's not and. One of the one of the reasons that I think we have to notice is that uh, the impact of COVID nineteen um, lockdowns, as well as the semiconductor shortage that was already happening before the lockdowns came, and then was exacerbated by those lockdowns, um, that has sowed havoc on the tech space in the last two years. Um, however, on the same token, overseas we're starting to see that graphics cards and components are starting to come down in price just before the likes of AMD and NVIDIA are about to announce new products. And the rumors around those products are that they are going to be very power hungry um, and likely going to be very expensive. And this has got me thinking, as well as a conversation that I recently had with a friend, is, is the entry level of gaming machines... Uh, so whether that's consoles or PCs, is that going to die? And I'm of the opinion that in the next two years or before the before the decade is up, rather, let me give myself a bit more leeway here. Before the decade is up, the idea of an entry-level console or an entry-level PC will be dead. Uh, and in, in its place will be game streaming. So I want to pass this off to you guys. Um, let's start with you, Robin. Do you think that I am off my rocker? Uh, not fully off. Uh, I think there is some merit to some of the points you made. Um, well, obviously, the fact that hardware is exorbitantly expensive nowadays. Um, but I can only really speak from, I guess, the console's perspective. Uh, that's kind of the, the fires that my love of gaming was forged in. Um, and PlayStation in particular. Sony does not play in the entry-level space. Their mm. stuff has always been expensive and it will continue to be so. I don't suspect we'll ever see a PS5 Lite anytime soon. It'll only be a PS5 Slim, and it'll still be expensive. So as far as hardware 
having to adjust, uh, or rather hardware pricing having to adjust in order to make gaming more accessible. I don't foresee that ever happening. Uh-huh. Um, what I do find a bit more interesting is, say, for example, uh, streaming services, uh, specifically something like uh, uh, Microsoft's was it Xbox Cloud Gaming or yeah. xCloud or whatever it's called. Um, that potentially porting over to smart TVs, I think that's perhaps a, a really interesting application with it. Not necessarily the kind of mobile devices that... Um, Tencent and uh, the like are trying to kind of bring to the fore. I think that's potentially a more interesting area that we could see grow moving forward as far as cloud gaming is concerned. Mm. Clinton, do you think I'm off my rocker? No, I think that the cloud gaming space is very um, uh, enticing to console manufacturers and publishers and certain greedy developers just because you have full control over everything, right? Mm. I, I think the console manufacturers really hate the fact that with physical games, um, you can buy used and you can give them to your friends or whatever. And I think also they hate the fact that you can also crack a console. I don't know if the, the current gen consoles are currently cracked, but you can get a cracked console and then you can just play all the games for free and then they're not getting their cut. By going completely online, they control everything. And they can do what they want, right? I think we're going to get to a point eventually where you can't just have a disc in your cupboard and you put the disc into your machine and you play it. I really think they want to do away with that as quickly as possible. Um, and Robin said something, oh, PlayStation Lite. I think that's more likely to happen than we think. I think that maybe we'll see something called a PlayStation Lite that's basically just a hub to connect to game streaming um, because then you're still buying... Um, Sony hardware and then they can still say oh Sony's like a prestige thing you have to own a PlayStation or whatever so I think it's very likely but not because it benefits the consumer but because it benefits the uh, the corporations and everything's becoming that way right everything's a service you own nothing and you you'll be happy about it so yeah from a purely skeptical point of view I think it's very likely so I think it's worth looking at who is pushing cloud gaming. Um, so we've got the likes of Google Stadia. Well, um, I mean, yeah, the less said about that, the better. Well, there's rumors that it's being shut down. Um, there mean, was apparently a behind-closed-doors meeting where uh, the higher-ups were told that it's being shuttered. I mean, they've already started moving in that direction by turning uh, their development into a kind of white-label thing where we will make games that brands can slap their branding onto. They've done that for Peloton, I believe. Um, So, I mean, they are heading in that way. So probably the less said about Google, the better, although it does kind of feed into what I want to talk about. So we have Google Stadia, we have Xbox Cloud Gaming, um, we have Amazon's Aura service, which is still in its infancy, and then we have uh, GeForce Now, or NVIDIA GeForce Now, rather. I think those are the three kind of biggest players is Google, uh, Xbox, and NVIDIA, even though, as we mentioned, Google is possibly the the most faltering of those ones. Um, But hey, Google products surviving inevitable or inevitably is something that will never happen unless it's Gmail. Um, But all of those companies, I feel, have sort of a vested interest in pushing you, you know... When your Google Assistant just decides to butt in because you mentioned the word. Um, 
but each of these companies, I feel, has a sort of interest. Sorry, guys. No, no worries. This is hilarious. Uh, all of these companies have a vested interest. Hang on, just two seconds. Brendan's going to silently smother his, uh, his Google Assistant. Okay, she's quiet now. Hopefully it remains that way. Anyway, like I was saying before I was interrupted by one of the biggest tech companies in the world, um, all of these companies have a vested interest in uh, pushing you towards the cloud. So uh, Amazon has AWS. It's massive. Uh, it's all of that massive infrastructure, which gaming companies would or developers would need to make use of in order to serve your ads um, or to serve your game, sorry. Uh, Xbox has uh, Azure through Microsoft, uh, as well as Xbox Game Studios, getting you onto Azure and using Azure services, as well as use, using their games that are developed in, or buying their games that are developed in-house and using Azure services, that helps them. Um, and then obviously NVIDIA GeForce, uh, now, or NVIDIA rather, makes uh, hardware that's used in data centers. Um, especially the hardware that's going to be running these games. So all of these companies, I think, have a sort of interest in pushing cloud gaming. And I'm wondering whether we should be a bit more cautious about diving into their applications. I say that as somebody who is deeply entrenched in the Microsoft ecosystem, as well as the Xbox ecosystem. Um, and if you were to take it away from me, I would find it, I, I would find it very, very difficult to continue my technological life. So do you guys think that we need to be a bit more hesitant about giving all these companies just praising them and, and diving into their products? Clinton, let's start with you. Well, I mean, we just saw this again speaking about Sony on their platform where uh, you could buy movies. Um, one of the movie houses, they just re uh, removed, they lost the license, so they just removed people's purchases of movies. They didn't refund them. They didn't, you know, give them any sort of recourse. They just put out a thing saying, sorry, you lose access to the stuff you paid for. You know, uh, if you read the terms and services, tough, tough luck. It says so we can do that. So mm. I, I hate I hate all of this. Everything is becoming service and I hate it. Um, not only for reasons like that where they just say, oh, you know, you don't own this anymore. Tough luck. It's just that uh, it. I don't want to be so bold to say, oh, they take away your freedom, but it takes away your freedom of what you can do. And again, I go back to the whole thing about discs, and I think a lot of people don't even think about discs anymore. They just want to buy something digitally and download it. But the ability to take something you paid for and then just sell it on or give it away or whatever you want to do with it once you finish with it is a freedom we're just not having with our products anymore. I mean, and, I mean <sighs> go that, ahead. That also extends to like physical products though, right? I mean, when was yeah. the last time you sold something that was old? I, I can't remember because stuff just breaks. Yeah, I was also going to bring this up for the fact that some companies don't even want you doing that. Um, and it's usually like in the car industry or we also see it a lot in the, uh, the stuff with tractors, right? Um, where certain companies won't allow you to fix your own machine mm. that you paid for. Uh, they, I don't, I don't know if it's illegal, but they put it in their terms and service that you can lose like your whole warranty or whatever if you do that. So I, I really don't like the, the way any of this is going. And I, I mean, I say this, I play on PC and I own a lot of my games through Steam. But if Steam tomorrow says that we're shutting down the service and you can no longer access your games, Ooh. not only do I have no recourse for that, but one, when I signed up, I gave them permission to do that. 
there, there's almost nothing I can do. And, and I mean, even with the consoles, with now I'm talking about, you know, I'm mean, evangelizing for for owning discs and stuff like that. A lot of these consoles, if they can't connect to the internet, they won't even let you play a game sometimes, mm. even if you have it on disc. So we, we're slowly getting there. Like I said, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. So yeah, I don't like any of this, but like I said I, at the top, I think that's where it's going because they want control and they, they, they're just not satisfied with you paying $60 for a game and that's being done with it. They'd much rather have you paying like $30 a month every month until you're in the ground. Robin, do you think we need to be a bit more hesitant about uh, the companies that are pushing cloud gaming? Um, so, yes and no. Apologies for sitting on the fence here, but um, it's, it's kind of like the balancing act of convenience versus ownership. Uh, Clinton kind of mentioned the point that you essentially don't own these things that you're paying for. You're just paying for access to the service. So that that for me is quite concerning because... Again, maybe perhaps I'm showing my age here, but I grew up in the era where when you buy something, it's yours. You own it. You can do with it as you please. Um, but now we're essentially just buying access to the service. And like Linton rightfully says, if they decide to pull the plug, you're kind of left in the lurch. Uh, you, you have nothing, uh, no kind of recourse. Um, as opposed to if you had a physical disc, there is something you can do about it, or there's at least... Uh, it is there is still something left behind. So, from that perspective, it is a little concerning. But on the same hand, there is something to be said about convenience of these kind of online platforms. I know that we are perhaps getting into dangerous territory. I know it has isn't really happening in gaming yet, but we've already seen it somehow into into the car industry. Um, BMW had that ridiculous um, uh, Seat service offering. DLC. Yeah, when you, where you essentially can pay. Or the seat warmer as you need it, which sounds insane. It is insane. That, that's in, that's unfathomable. Like a decade ago, for someone to kind of uh, propose that, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the kind of model that we start seeing in a lot more luxury car makers. And it is, I guess, a, a worrying uh, a trend because mm. now again, ownership is becomes a very vague concept. Just to add on that, not to interrupt you here, Robert, but the whole thing is that they're not just taking away ownership. They're also play, they're taking away the good aspects of ownership and they're putting all the, the bad parts on you. And that car example, BMW brought it up because somebody said, okay, let's say I own this car and I pay for heated seats, right? If those heated seats breaks, who am I, who's going to pay for them to get fixed? Really, it should be BMW. If they're saying we own the heated seats part of your car, Shouldn't you fix it? And they'll probably say, no, 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 read the terms of service. We're just providing the service and a service can't break. If it breaks, it means your hardware broke. So you not only, yeah, they're not only taking away the good parts of ownership, they're leaving you with the bad parts of ownership yeah. too. So there's something that we haven't discussed and uh, that was highlighted in the research that was done by uh, Fortune Business Insights. And that is latency and responsive issues. Now, one of the things that cloud gaming cannot do without is a high latency, high speed, or sorry, a low latency, high speed uh, internet connection. Um, that does not mean fiber. Uh, essentially, what this, what you need to be able to feel as if you're playing a game on a machine that you own, a local machine you need 5G because 5G offers latencies that are lower than one millisecond. 
Um, that, however, also depends on the configuration of the 5G network, how busy that 5G network is, and a whole bunch of other factors. But let's say, best case scenario, you have a 5G network that has below one millisecond latency. Um, now, that would be all good and well if South Africa, for instance, had a 5G uh, network. Now, we do have some we do have small 5G networks, uh, but nothing on the at the sort of scale that would allow cloud gaming to flourish. And I think that this, I stand to be corrected, but this might be true for much of the African continent and much of the world outside of the United States, the UK, and China. Um, and this presents a problem for me that I have dubbed the Silicon Valley problem. The Silicon Valley problem is that growth is very much focused in the markets where uh, these these companies operate or have headquarters. So what I mean is the US, the UK, um, and that's really it. Uh, the UK and Europe. Uh, sorry, I kind of, I still lump the UK and Europe together, even though Brexit happened. Um, but it's the but US, UK, and Europe are the markets where they will most likely start to push growth because that's where the uh, the first world is, quote unquote. Um, and the problem with Silicon Valley is that they don't start looking at how to expand until they have reached market saturation in those markets. Uh, we're starting to see that now with the likes of Netflix, uh, which has reached market saturation in the US and Canada and is now trying to branch out to other parts of the world where competitors have already got a foothold. Um, the same with Facebook, where Facebook has spent much of its lifetime uh, focused on the US markets, and now it's starting to lose revenue, and it's having to look at how it can how it can adapt its service in other parts of the world. Um, so the Silicon Valley problem is that big tech companies in Silicon Valley have a very narrow-minded uh, view of growth until they are no longer able to grow in certain markets, and then they decide to expand. Now, the reason I went through this whole long explanation is that if we look at cloud gaming and we look at the African continent, where the African continent has usually been left behind. Now, that sounds like a bad thing, and for the most part it is, but African ingenuity has seen uh, the continent kind of make do and make alternative arrangements. Because fixed-line connectivity was so impossible and so costly, Africa moved towards mobile connectivity, and that's pushed mobile connectivity uh, further in other parts of the world. So Africa has has traditionally had a we will do it ourselves and we'll do it better sort of attitude. Um, but the problem is that with companies, with game streaming, you very much need the companies that operate these services to want to be in your market. Uh and that that's visible here by just how few games have servers that serve the African continent. Um, and I know that this will probably stoke the calls for, oh, we need local Fortnite servers. And <laughs> as much as I would love to have there be local Fortnite services, we actually need people who are playing Fortnite on the continent to get Epic to put servers here. And this is the problem, is that while they as gamers, we think that there's a demand because we play it. We play a particular game. I love Destiny, and if I was a few years younger, I might be begging Bungie every week for local servers because in my worldview or in my view of things, everybody's playing Destiny, right? Mm. But the problem is that you need to have a demand here 
in order for these companies to want to come here. We've only just had Azure services launched in South Africa like two, uh, four years ago, like 2018, uh, AWS as well. Um, so all these companies, like they have cloud services sort of in the country, but not really. Um, and that's just in South Africa, not talking about the rest of the massive African continents. And my concern is that as cloud gaming starts to become more prevalent in other parts of the world, Africa and uh, South America and maybe even parts of Asia are just kind of left behind because these companies haven't invested in infrastructure locally. Yeah, um, and it's one, it's one yeah. of those things where it's like a catch-22 where they say, we're not going to invest in your markets because your markets don't generate enough money. Mm. But then because they didn't invest you're not going to get more customers. Like if they're not selling their product in the country, how are people supposed to become fans of your product and become customers? Yeah. And because they are not becoming customers, the market stays small. And then the company says, we're not going to invest because the market's so small. And I've had this conversation with so many big businesses around, like like Pokemon. If we go back to that, I helped set up the the competitive stuff in South Africa. And we really had to work to get um, official recognition um, to get championship points because for a long time they weren't given out in South Africa even though we had the um, the events and they always went back to the same thing there's not enough players and we had to keep saying there's not enough players because you won't support us and we it just it's this it just makes you want to pull your hair out it's such an irritating back and forth where it's just like a cycle that feeds itself. You won't support us, so the market's small. The market's small because there's no support. Or worse, we just get lumped in with Europe, Middle East, and uh, like Africa gets lumped in with Europe and the Middle East, yeah, or it, Middle East and Turkey. So it's just like, oh, well, you know, these two countries, which are culturally and uh, like in terms of population, vastly different. Uh, we're just going to lump them together because yeah. we're too lazy to create to set up offices and infrastructure in Africa. What's hilarious is that I've even seen some companies lump in not just Middle East, not just Europe, not just Africa, but also Russia. This RMEA region. That's like half of the world's uh, like total ge- uh, geographic space. And they're just like, yeah, it's, it's one thing. It's one, uh, one, one territory. Yeah. But then it's like, oh, we'll have, uh, we'll have offices in uh, LA and we'll have offices in uh, New York and we'll have offices in uh, Texas. No, and you have like 10 offices in the US and then half of the world has one office. It's yeah, in like Ireland. It's hilarious. And it's manned by one person. And it's not actually an office. It's a temporary it's a man, structure. It's a, man in a, yeah, it's a man in a photocopy and they're just, they're just there for tax reasons. Yeah. Uh, Robert, what do you do? You want to weigh in? Uh, yeah, I think the issue is that um, we do have hyperscalers in the country now, but their focus is very much on the enterprise space, mm-hmm. and we 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 get reports every single week about how big gaming is as a as an industry and how much money is going into gaming, how much investment is going into gaming. But at the end of the day, a lot of these hyperscalers don't care about that because that's not what they see they, that's not where they see the value right. and by the time they do see the value unfortunately you get a disney plus situation where a service is launched and it's horrible and then yeah. then you definitely won't have support down the line so yeah it's a it's a really um yeah that's frustrating a- situation because uh someone like microsoft it has all the pieces of the puzzle already like laid out can put it together very easily but for some reason hasn't 
It has the Azure uh, infrastructure. It has all. It has Game Pass. It has uh, cloud gaming. It has uh, a lot of the, I guess, titles, and it's acquiring more studios by the day. Surely that needs to come together now, and it could. And a lot of the time, these hyperscales, I want to say, like South Africa is like the springboard into the rest of the continent. Then let's do something about it. Again, it's it's that uh, you know self fulfilling prophecy. If they just supported us, uh, maybe we would pay. Um, I I also want to mention just before we end here something that I've been thinking about or been doing all of this. We've been thinking about um, you know Sony doing something, Microsoft doing something, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I wonder if there's room for an like an agnostic streaming platform where uh, it was some company will set it up and then all these companies can kind of just put their games on it and then you pay to play like like I don't know like a, a virtual arcade and I, I I think Stadia was trying to do that or Stadia but then you had to pay them and then I don't really think Nvidia does that because with GeForce I, I know you at least buy your games um, from like Steam or whatever and then you just uh, you you stream it but I'm thinking about like an an online arcade, right? Where you either buy like a subscription per month and then the money goes to whatever games you play or you pay per play like an actual arcade, something like that. I wonder if there's room for them to do something like that. And then Microsoft will say, okay, we'll put our games on there and then you can play it and pay them as you do that. Um, but again, once Stadia goes down, I think there's going to be a lot of hesitancy uh, about this. So, I, yeah, so something that I am seeing more and more talk of is, like, renting a server and using that server as your gaming machine. Um, that doesn't deal with the idea of, uh, of um, connectivity, though. Um, but I have seen that idea floated around where you, you essentially rent a machine that you then stream to or you stream from exclusively and you install your games there and that sort of thing. I don't know if that's something that could catch on. Um, What's well, so like a virtualized console? Essentially, essentially yeah. So you, you rent a server. That server becomes like your desktop, essentially. You dial into that, that server and then that's your gaming PC or your console, whatever it may be. I think um, GeForce is kind of like that because your your subscription level entitles you to certain hardware. Ah. The, the more you pay every month, the better performance you get. So I think that that could be a happy medium um, between streaming games and having your own PC. But once again, that doesn't take into account the issues with... Um, <clears throat> uh, with the way that games are going with a subscription service. So uh, if I... If I rent a a machine, then I also need to rent a subscription to a gaming service. Then I also need to rent my internet connectivity line. It's it's just circling back to that you'll own nothing and you'll be happy about it uh, line that you mentioned earlier, Clinton. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's just concerning to me because I do feel like we're moving to a point where the hardware, the basic hardware you need to play games is is just out of reach like i mean i, I was i was shopping around on evtech earlier today um and i was looking at the price of gpus and like a four thousand rand gpu sounds like a good deal until you actually try and play anything on it and uh you're left with a less than stellar uh experience like just looking at what it would cost you to just get a decent graphics card like i mean you can pick up a 2060 for six thousand five hundred rand, but that's also okay. like 
two generations old at this point because yeah. the 4000 series is about to launch. Yeah. The um the pandemic and the corporate greed from the pandemic has basically ruined the uh, the PC gaming market. I mean, a 3070 I truly don't believe. Yeah, go ahead, so, ben. Sorry, a 3070 Ti which like 5 years ago I would have considered the mid-range card is 7 is 18,000 rand. It's insane. There's uh, I can't believe that the more people aren't talking about this. The pandemic caused the prices to go up and the companies were like, okay, you know, it's one of those things where like, oh, give me emergency power. Once the, the emergency is over, I'll give the power back. And that's how every dictatorship starts. It's the same with these prices. They figured out that they could sell them for a very high amount. And now that the pandemic is over, well, not over, now that the pandemic has gotten um, more manageable. Uh, manageable and the supply chains are recovering and the manufacturing is recovering, they just haven't put the prices down. Um, yeah, but I mean, the price, like, uh, just to reiterate the point I was making, is that the price of hardware is only going up. It's only getting more and more expensive. And I don't see a point where, like, as Clinton mentioned, these companies decide to, okay, well, maybe it's time to lower the prices of these things. You know, I'm just looking now at EVTEC right now. You can pick up a 3080 Ti on clearance, right, for 19,299 Rand. That's on clearance, except that. The normal price of a 3080 Ti is 21999. I think that we're moving to a point where the, the price of hardware is just getting out of hand to the point where the average person can't afford it. And cloud streaming, as whether for better or for worse, is going to become the way that I think most of us are going to play games. Um, but that's going to wrap it up from us for this week. Uh, thanks so much to all the technical difficulties that have reared their heads. Um, uh, but also thank you to Everkey for sponsoring this Afrikaans. Uh, so, uh, whoa, that's going to be it from me. My name is Brendan Lott. Cheerio from Clitzamatos. Bye, everybody. I'm from Robin Lee Chetty. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Cheers. The Everkey Onyx is available in 25 and 36 liter sizes so that no matter how much tech you carry around, it'll sit comfortably and safely inside the backpack. Sporting a discreet RFID blocking pocket and quick access slots, the Onyx is designed for the professional on the move. Whether you're using a 15 or 17 inch notebook, there is an Everkey Onyx backpack for you. Find out more on wootware.co.za.